Well, hi everybody. Yeah, good to see you. Uh, <laughs> and me. Thank you. Um, yeah, as uh, Richard said, we're continuing our series, uh, Journey to the Cross. It's our second week in, and it's, Lent is that part of the Christian calendar that really from Ash Wednesday, which leads us right the way through to, which was last Wednesday, leads us right the way through to Easter. So I want to encourage you uh, to purposely during this time, whatever you may be giving up, I'm asking you not to give up, praying for people and asking God to give you opportunities to bless the people God has placed in your life. So I think this is just so important. So last term, if you're new here, just to let you know, we followed a series called Bless. And uh, we encourage everybody here to be looking outward, to be looking towards others. On the wall here are names of people's friends, family, work colleagues, neighbors, all people that we are in contact, people who are important to us. So whatever you give up during Lent, if that's your thing, I'm asking you, don't give up on this. You know, please keep praying. We had our biggest Christmas ever last Christmas. We had our biggest Christmas ever at the carol service. So many people came. And now we find ourselves with the biggest Alpha course we've had for a long time. A long time. So um, that happens down here on a Tuesday night. We have tables out. We use the auditorium for it. So it's terrific. It really is helpful. So it's a culture thing. We want to be blessing others, and it's part of our culture. So if you're unsure, by the way, of what bless is, then there are guides, well, I hope there are, uh, at the back, on the tables at the back, and they'll tell you all about it. But we actually, we want to see the biggest Easter we've ever had yet. We really do. And we're going to have baptisms on that day. So we're, we're in faith for baptisms on that day. So we want a great Easter. Well, as we take this journey, we, we want to press the pause button on our lives. Uh, when you, in, during this period, we want to take a time to reflect, a time to look in, not forgetting at the same time we don't want to stop looking out. So, if you have a Bible, I'm going to turn to Psalm 42 and 43. If you don't have a Bible, the words will come up on the screen I write notes in my Bible. I mean, it's, it's, they remind me of things. So as we go through this morning, if you want to write notes in your Bible, feel free to do so. Absolutely. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God, under the protection of of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? 
Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep, in the roar of your waterfalls all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul? Are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, my God. And plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are, my, you are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre. O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you, so, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Wow. What a psalm is that, eh? Or what are two psalms like that? One writer says, um, listening to these psalms is a bit like being a guest in an operating theater where open heart surgery is going on. He's shockingly honest. Nothing withheld. Nothing. He doesn't, he doesn't offer an excuse for God. You know, there's only so many days till Brexit. I know you're busy. He doesn't do that. You know, he, you know I understand it's not just this nation. There's, uh, there's China and there's America and there's all those things going on. Nothing. He doesn't do it at all. And he, he, he reveals his deepest longings. He exposes himself, his despair, his despondency. I tell you, this is a real relationship. You can do this with a real relationship. There's nothing hidden. It's all out in the open. There's a brutal honesty here going on. Why? Because it's real. It's extraordinarily practical, this. Very honest. I want to look at three aspects. And you have the quite right thing to say. What is going on? That's one of the things. What's going on? And, and then why is it going on? And here lastly, we want to, what can I learn? So the, the writer is downcast. You, you couldn't have missed it, could you? Uh, he's really clear about this. Three times, he says, why am I so? Are you downcast? So you get in verse 5, verse 11, Psalm 42, and the last verse in Psalm 43. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Now, you might not realize 
uh, Richard, is this yours or did, did you? Is just lying around here? Is this piece of paper just lying around? It's not yours. Okay, so the writer here, it, this, this word downcast has got considerable weight. Actually, it means... You see why I had to be clear about that, didn't you? Uh, I've just remembered. It means crumpled. Absolutely crumpled. It means Collapsed. You watch it building and there's an earthquake and down it comes. It means dissolved, gone. You see, understand the word behind the weight of that word, downcast? It's an incredible weight to it. What's going on? Well, that's what's going on. He isn't merely having a, an off day, there's something of depth. Something of incredible depth that he is experiencing. And, and you know the, the, the word downcast is like a figure of speech. It means giving up. Giving up. I'm just giving up. That's, that's really where you are. And don't go thinking, and here we might go thinking, oh, well, that's for other Christians. That's for weak Christians. No, 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 no. no. You're not allowed to do that because um, Moses is a huge figure. In the Old Testament. And he does great exploits for God. And amazing adventures. And then you get to Numbers chapter 11. And uh, Moses, Moses is done. So he says to God. Take my life. Take my life. He is so. He's done. He's done with the people of God. And oh, I don't want to lead these people anymore. They're whinging. They're complaining. It's just Relentless. You feed them, you care for them, and then they do, all they do is whinge. I'm done. Just take my life. Take my life. Elijah is another. So if you know about Elijah, he has this massive victory. And then the following chapter in 1 Kings 19, he's running for his life. You see him under a bush. And he's saying to God, take my life. Come on, take my life. I've, I've had enough. I'm crumpled. I'm just crumpled. It's downcast. And then there's uh, Jonah. And Jonah, Jonah has this moment where God does not do what he wanted him to do. God, Jonah wants judgment and God wants to do mercy in Nineveh. And Jonah is sitting on a hill outside Nineveh, looking over the city. And he goes, take my life. Take my life. That's enough. Now, they all know that they don't have the right to take their own life. And that's why they're asking God to do it. They want to pack it all in. They want to call it a day. Enough's enough. They want out. Now, these are key people in the Old Testament. So what does that mean for you and me? I'll tell you what it means. It means we're not immune. I don't know where you see yourself in the Christian pers- you know, perspective. I don't, it, it, when nobody's immune. And you know this and I know this. There are many forms of downcast. Some of you know exactly what this means today. Today. Even Today. 
And you know, strangely, Christians are not always helpful. <laughs> you know, they say things like, have you prayed in faith? Brother? Have you, well, have you prayed in faith? Or, hey, come on, just believe. Just believe. You claiming the promises of God? Are you claiming God's promises? In other words, it's all your fault. None of this is in here, by the way. You don't get any of this in Psalm 42, Psalm 43. None of it. Elijah has his meltdown. You want to know how God deals with Elijah's meltdown? He sends an angel and he cooks him a meal and says lovely, kind words to him. That's a good thing to do. So before you stuff anybody with, are you claiming the promises of God? Just have a look at 1 Kings 19. Show you how to deal with downcast. Verse 1 says this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Now, again, this is a word, pants and thirst. It's a similar word. Word and it's rare, and it means it's a deep, deep yearning, and it comes from being massively dehydrated. So, last summer, there'll be days when you went, Give me a drink, give me a drink. So hot, it's rare by the way, this is rare in England, but give me a drink, give me a drink. I'm just so thirsty. No, it's not that sort of thirst, it's where you're on your hands and knees, and you, you just desperate for a drop of water that's the implication here and he goes and it's a particular yearning notice this when verse 2 can I go and meet with God no there's no guilt here in through this psalm there's no sin when can I go and meet with God there's a clear sense of God's absence that this man is struggling with. Believers face this. They do face this from time to time. So do people who are not believers. They just, they're just not aware of it. They're not aware of it. They come to places like, um, I don't just, I don't, what's the point of life? I don't, don't get it. What is the point of life? Or they're searching for meaning. They're, and they cannot find any answers. And therefore life seems incredibly meaningless. The um, um, columnist that's uh, here is. British columnist. Um, he, the late Bernard Levin. He wrote an article at, towards the end of his life. And, he, and the article was called Life's Great Riddle. And No Time to Find Its Meanings. He says, to put it bluntly, have I time to discover why I was born before I die? I'm not managed to answer the question yet, and however many years I have before me, there are certainly not as many as there are behind. There's an obvious danger in leaving it too late. Why do I have to know why I was born? Because, of course, and I'm unable to believe it was an accident. And if it wasn't one... It must have meaning. Human beings need God. As much as animals and humans need water, we need God. There's a spiritual vacuum, as a, a desperate thirst 
when there's a disconnection from God. And that's why we fill it with so many other things. Here, I'm sitting in the meeting today and uh, I'm just thinking and I, I, don't know, I have this picture of a bucket. And the thought came to me about bucket list. I think there's somebody in here, you've written out your bucket list. You've written out your bucket list. And I'll tell you, if God is not right in the middle, that would be as empty bucket as you've ever, ever had. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know, fill your life with God. Otherwise, your bucket list will just be like sand in your hands. And it'll just go through your fingers. And if that's you, why would God give me that picture? It's for you to take notice. I hope you do that. And some of you will have plans for bucket lists. Well, they'll all be empty in your hands. Unless you find your fulfillment in God. We have a, you know, that's, we, God, man has got to disconnect with God. So he has to find, so he finds other things to fill it. So this is what's going on with this man. He's downcast and he just senses the absence of God. We long for the presence of God. And so why is this happening? Why, why is it going on? Well, this is a song. By the songs of Korah, you'll see that right at the top. And, um, and they were charged with the ministry of singing in Jerusalem. So these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God. You get, did you get that line in there in verse uh, 4? How I used to go to the house of God. And so it, re, it looks as though this man's been displaced, uh, geographically moved. He's no longer where he used to be. And what's more, he was right in the middle of it in Jerusalem, part of the singing ministry. And when you're a singing ministry, he's leading the singing ministry. And he's, but he's not there anymore. And what's more, it's not that he's not where he used to be. He's not in the company that he used to be either. Sometimes, let me just be very practical here, can I? Sometimes when people, sometimes I'm saying all the time, sometimes when people move from here and they catch up with me a year or two later or something, they say, do you know, I just so miss it. I so miss being at King's. I mean, a lady sent an email not long ago. Just isolated, just feels lost. Because she missed being here. And that means she missed being with you. And then students at university, this, this is just very practical. They feel that way at times as well. Because if they've found their faith here in High Wycombe, for instance, and, and uh, they've come to King's, and then after their three years or four years moved on, sometimes they feel lost. They feel a sense of abandonment. All that was familiar has gone. Now, just stay with me on this a moment. Sometimes we go to Christian festivals. New Day is a big one for our young people. Or we go to Christian conferences and we experience God. And it's, and it's really wonderful. And then afterwards, it's not like it was when we were at the conference or the festival. See, a lot of our experiences in the company of one another. Here's the point. 
You need to find God for yourself. You need to have your own stream of living water for you. For you. So whether you are in a place where you didn't want to be, whether that's geographically or some things have happened, you need to find God for you. Because this is what is going on here. My soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? I'm not knocking conferences and all those things. I'm not there, and I'm not, certainly not knocking us coming together. But you have to find your own for you. you know, this man's environment isn't helpful. People are saying, Where, where's your God? Where's your God? This, he may well have been in exile at the time. On, on, a, on a runner, because David's on a runner at, on occasions. And, and maybe that's his situation. Our environment can be, our environment can be the best, skeptical and suspicious. I found myself in a conversation with three or four people um, not so long ago. I, I didn't handle it well. Just want to tell you, I just didn't handle it well. Last week we did with confessions. And here's what I said. I didn't handle it well. And, and it, was, it was argumentative. And I, I should have smelt it right from the start. There, there's going to be no winners here. You know, there's going to be no winners. So, and, and I entered into the argument. And partway through I thought, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. This is exactly what they want. You know, all the stuff starts flying. You know, where's God when this happens? And all these religious wars, it's all a religion. And uh, we went down this route. In the end, I just said, well, I think we've done enough of that. What's the next subject? I was just, uh, I didn't do it well. We, We live in an environment that isn't easy. He's experiencing this. And what's more, we don't have the full picture either. My tears have been my food day and night while people are saying to me all day long, where's your God? I mean, he feels abandoned. I don't know if you've heard the sound of abandonment. Where tears day and night. I've heard that in my house. I've heard that with others. I remember one evening... I received a call, and the person on the end, they couldn't speak. So I, and all I can hear is this. They wanted to talk, but all I could hear is this strangled, muffled, heartbreaking cry, sobbing, coming over the phone, trying to take breaths. It's an agonizing sound. My, my tears have been my food day and night. It's a wretched thing. Jared Sitzer, I often acknowledge this guy. He writes a book called A Grace Disguised. And his story is that, that he, um, he lost three generations of his family in a car crash. His wife, his mother, and his four-year-old daughter, Diana Jane. This is a such an excellent book it's so good I won't give it away it's that good well unless you really asked but I need it for the next meeting and he writes this I could not always determine the proper time and setting for tears this occasionally came and 
at unexpected and inconvenient moments, such as the middle of a college class I was teaching or during a conversation. You know, and I'm, I'm aware there are other scenarios, and they'll be here in this room. Sometimes it's just a gradual build-up of pressure. And it gets increasingly intense. It's not immediately noticeable. One uh, afternoon, I was, I was uh, uh, past a friend of mine house and I I was sitting there and I was being quite objective about the situation and the circumstances that were going on and I was just talking to him and and then suddenly all the stuff and even as I'm thinking about it now I can sense it and I can feel it all this stuff started to I just broke I just sat there and wept I I thought oh my goodness me where does this come from it was just such a build-up of pressure my tears have been my food, day and night. Sometimes, you know, these things have started off. It's a broken plate in the kitchen. And suddenly all this stuff comes through. Or I bang my head accidentally. And then all this stuff comes. My tears have been my food, day and night. It's important to see how this man responds. What do we do when this happens? How do you live in a place where you do not want to be? You and life hands you such a deal and it's not your fault. Nothing about sin in here. No guilt. Nothing about that. How do you deal with it? When you're drowning in a tidal wave of pain and desolation. What do you do? What can I learn? So firstly this. Verse 4. He pours out his soul. These things I remember, he said, as I pour out my soul. He doesn't feel God. God doesn't seem real. But note this. He is still speaking to God. If you don't write anything, write that. He is still speaking to God. It's intense. It's sustained. It's eloquent. The Bible tells us to pray on all occasions. We don't need a certain feeling to pray. We don't need to have an absence of a feeling to pray. We need just... Pray in all circumstances. Spurgeon, great Baptist preacher in the 1800s, he said this, we should pray when we're in a praying mood for it would be sinful to neglect neglect so fair an opportunity. We should pray when we're not in a praying mood for it would be dangerous to remain in such a condition. Still praying. Luke in his gospel writes at the moment during the crucifixion, It's the sixth hour. And darkness came over the whole of the land until the ninth hour. And just before he dies, Jesus calls out in the darkness with a loud voice. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. If you see Jesus trusting God in the dark for you and your salvation, my friends, you can trust him in the most difficult and complex circumstances that you face. Keep speaking to him. The writer in this psalm is speaking to God. Hebrews tells us that anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists. And what, 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 what? He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Have you ever opened your eyes in the dark? And it's just pitch black. Have you ever done that? It's just pitch black. Can't see a thing. But if you keep your eyes open and stick in there a bit, Shapes begin to emerge and you begin to see a little. And then 
actually you begin to see a little more. If God is unreal to you, come on, talk to him. And if you're struggling with prayer, talk to him. It's all in the Psalms. They go through all those issues and struggles. Talk to him. This man's thirsty for God, you know. He's thirsty for God. Pour out your soul. There are seasons of dryness that we experience that are prolonged unnecessarily because we stop doing this stuff. Keep on praying. Jesus never said, I'm too busy to pray. And it appears to me that whatever this man has lost, he has not lost the habit of praying. How about you? How about you? Somebody said this, successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Luke tells us to never give up. Always pray, never give up. We often give up because we don't see progress quick enough. We wrongly conclude that small decisions don't make that much difference. We look at other Christians and we forget they've taken years to get to this place. How did they do that? Why is this person so wise? Why do they have so much peace about their life? Why are they so, this is a person I can talk to. Why is that? Because they did the little things again and again and again and again. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. You want transformation? Stick in there. They persevered. The Bible says don't grow weary in doing good. The Bible says, don't stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Don't do that. Give, and it shall be given to you. Keep keep giving. Small, life-changing habits. He's still praying. What else does he do? He speaks to himself. Did you notice that? He speaks to himself. Contrary to what other people say, this is not the first sign of madness. This is a great thing to do. Speak to yourself. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great preacher in Westminster Chapel during the 1900s, he says this, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? You wake up in the morning and these thoughts and the feelings, they all come rush in and they're all speaking to you. What are you going to say? You've got to take them in hand. Ben Patterson says this, he says, feelings can be like unruly children. And like unruly children, they must not be allowed to have the last word. I like that. (laughs) They mustn't be allowed to have the last word. So you've got to remind yourself what is true. He, He reminds himself who he is. He reminds himself what is true. He won't let go. He just won't let go, this guy. He speaks to himself. He affirms God's character. In verse 9 he says, I say to my God, to my, God my rock, my rock. He affirms the Lord in the midst of all his questions. And when he says rock, he has it with a capital R in verse 9. And even then he says, have you forgotten me? But he's thinking to him and he's affirming who God is. Our feelings have a way of taking a piece of a picture from a 
taking a piece of a picture and making it the whole picture, that could be a massive distortion. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He doesn't just talk about his feelings. He talks about his hopes. Here's the third thing. He opens his heart. I will remember you. By day, the Lord directs his love. Verse 8. At night, his song is within me. And then he goes, <laughs> see, but, you know, if you think about it, you and I have got better resources than he did. Jesus on the cross truly experienced the absence of God. Truly experienced the absence of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And on the cross, Jesus says, I thirst. You think you know what thirst is? This is a cosmic thirst. This is something nobody has ever, ever experienced. I never had an emptiness like this. This is cosmic. It's of huge proportions. A dimension we will never, never experience. A mind, holy person, without sin, takes your punishment and mine. And we know we're not perfect. We say that, don't we? I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. Because we know it. And he takes your sin. He takes our punishment. And he experiences such a thirst. Such an emptiness. Such an absence of God's presence. He experienced a thirst that, that you and I will never know. You know, sometimes our thirst is temporary. Or it's just relative. But he's always there. And his absence, well, it's, he's always there. Whether we feel him or not. The love you're looking for in others. And the glory that you seek in all your pursuits. And all your efforts. You'll only find them in God. Let him be your bucket list. Let him be, a, let him be the, the, the source. The river of life flowing for you. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, anyone, let him thirst. He didn't actually. He said, let him come to me and drink. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And then he says this, out of his inmost being will flow streams. Do you want that? Do you want that? Do you want that? I hope you do. Streams. Or that's not a trickle. Or the occasional drop. He says, streams. Streams of living water. This living water, my goodness me, this is the thing that satisfies your soul. The deepest parts of you. The writer isn't looking anywhere else. He never asks about a change of circumstances. He's always looking for God himself. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, come to me. You want river? You want the river of life? Come to me. Amen.